0: Blog Talk Radio
1: Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy on a small planet called Gekonia east of the Albino Hills and south of the raging Lucistic River comes the one, the only Gecko Nation radio. Good evening, citizens of Gecko Nation. Welcome to another edition of Gecko Nation Radio. I'm your host, Dave, and it is a pleasure to be back with you again this Sunday evening. All right, tonight's a good show. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff related to leopard geckos, uh, leopard gecko subspecies, uh, some odds and ends, Um, and I'm going to ask John about these new little monitors he's breeding. They look really cool. So, if you haven't heard of John Scarborough from Gecko Boa Reptiles, you're definitely living under a rock with some pure Fasciolatus out in the wild somewhere. Um, so, crawl out under the rock and get to know our awesome guest tonight. He's also a sponsor of the show and a guy I consider a friend. Uh, definitely an awesome breeder. Somebody you can trust. Somebody who's got... He, he just gets it. He's got the best bloodlines available, especially when it comes to subspecies. And if you're going to do this on a serious level, that's the way to do it. Alright. I want to let everybody know that as with every show, we welcome your calls. We welcome your uh participation in the chat room. Okay. Uh if you'd like to call in with any questions or comments or discussion topics, the number is six four six four seven eight five three three one. Uh once you get connected, press number one and you'll be put into the call for you to come on the air. If you just want to listen to the show on your phone, you can do that as well. Just call the number. Alright? But if uh, you want to come on the air with a question, make sure you press one and I'll I'll bring you on the air. Uh order you know, i you know in the order they're received, so whoever's been waiting the longest will get on the air first. Alright. <clears throat> let's see. Business. Let's let's talk business for a minute. Um Echo Nation Radio would not be possible without its amazing sponsors, and great like to hear you guys in on our sponsors and some great discounts that you guys can get uh, by doing business with them. And keep in mind, all the people that sponsor this show are hand picked, hand selected. These are businesses that are known for being on top of the game. You won't get ripped off, won't get scammed. Everybody will have a good experience, one way or another, and. Uh, we love our sponsors. So let's talk about our first one, one that's been with us the longest. That's Dale's Bearded Dragons. Check out Dale's Bearded Dragons at com. They're quickly becoming one of the biggest reptile supply distributors, not only at Expos, but also online now on Amazon. Um, I even think eBay, too. But you guys can get a special coupon code for... Use with anything that you buy at dbdpet.com, or you can use their app. Check out their app, dbdpet, and the coupon code is get ready. Here it is, GNR five, GNR five. Okay, and I think they're for a short time. Instead of five percent off, they may be giving you ten percent off. You got to check in on that. All right. Oh, uh, I see somebody in the chat room missed last week's show. That's okay. Don't worry, cat. All our shows are downloadable either on iTunes or here on Blog Talk Radio, okay? Or just uh, keep, uh, uh, follow the Facebook page, Gecko Nation Radio, and you you can search through the links there on the timeline, all right? Listen through it, to it through Facebook. All right, let's talk about some gecko breeders. Well, we're going to hear all about John tonight, so but definitely check out his website, geckoboa.com. All right, let's talk about some other awesome gecko breeders. Of course, Mr. Ron Tremper. Check out leopardgecko.com, and uh, I'm sorry, I made made a mistake. John's site is geckoboa.com. Ron Tremper is leopardgecko.com. I hope I didn't mix those two up. Check out leopardgecko.com for Ron Tremper's animals, and he also has an app called LG Pro. Check out LG Pro. It's an encyclopedia of leopard gecko morphs to help any hand-season hobbyist out there with some information on some of these awesome animals we keep. Uh, check out his available page for available animals that he has at this time of the year. He's got some cool stuff. And keep in mind, this is the beginning of the breeding season, so some of us breeders do have limited supply. We're waiting for our females to start laying eggs. All right. Also, Supreme Gecko. If you guys like Crested, day geckos um, or supplies related to those and some micro geckos and some obscure species, definitely check out Supreme Gecko. There's also a wealth of information on his site. Wally does an awesome job with his website. Okay, OhioGecko.com. Check out OhioGecko.com for tangerines and all kinds of cool snows and fat tails and stuff like that. That also runs the forum, geckoforums.net. Great place to get information on the history of leopard gecko morphs and also husbandry questions, just about anything you'd like to know. Get them at the geckoforums.net. All right, and if you are feeding your geckos, you want to feed them really good food at great prices and great customer service. Definitely go to RainbowMealworms.net. They love Rainbow; they've been going strong since I think 1956. They own a whole city block in California, a huge worm farm. So check out RainbowMealworms.net. And if you're shipping your animals anywhere in the country, definitely go with reptilesexpress.com. Best pricing that I've found, awesome supplies, great customer service. If you are new to shipping, ask for Amy, and she will help you get started. It's free membership, reptilesexpress.com. All right, and of course, sea serpents and hot box incubators. Sea serpents racks are quickly becoming the best and most popular in the reptile community. If you guys need, Rex leopard geckos or snakes or just about anything else uh related, definitely check out seaserpents.com. And of course, their incubators are hotbox incubators. I like the hotbox incubators. They have the thermostat built in, lighting built in, and of course, you guys, if you guys know me, they use the good stuff for heating. They use Flex-Lot heat tape, the good stuff. So definitely check out seaserpents and hotbox incubators. All right, and Dubia roaches, sooner or later you're going to get sick of crickets. If you're using crickets, I hate crickets. Most people do. They smell, they chirp, they get out. Big pain in the butt. Go with dubia roaches. And our sponsor, AB Dragons, will definitely hook you up with some of the highest quality dubia around. They're also bringing a bunch of different obscure uh, species of roaches these days. So you can find something pretty interesting from them. And they also have a coupon code for It's GECKO, all in caps. Use that for 5% off at checkout. So abdragons.com, and the code is gecko, at checkout. I think they're giving 10% off, too. Uh, you got to check them out. All right, last but not least, um, if you're breeding animals or um, just about, well, those have to be for animals. Um could be just for anything, but sooner or later you're going to want to promote yourself with a banner or stickers or promotional materials of some kind, graphic design work. Check out reptilestickers.com and Happy uh, Gecko on Facebook. All right, reptilestickers.com and Happy Gecko. Ask for Rachel and she'll totally help you out. Awesome graphic designer. All right, those are our sponsors and uh, they help keep the show going, so I uh, hope you guys can uh, take advantage. And, use them. And if you do, let us know how you think. And of course, let them know that you heard, them, heard about them here on the radio, Gecko Nation. Let's see. All right. That's about it for business. I do want to also just remind everybody that if you like what we do here at Gecko Nation Radio, uh, there are other radio shows out there, reptile related that are great. Morelia Python Radio, Herpin Time Radio, and of course, Corn on the Pod. Check them out. Corn on the Pod uh, is a newer show. And they talk about corn snakes and coulibrids and stuff like that. Totally devoted to that. All right, cool. I see that our guest, Mr. John Scarborough, is on the line. We're going to go ahead and bring him on. And, again, I might like to remind everybody, if you want to call in with your questions or discussion topics, the number is 646-478-5331. And we welcome your calls. All right, Mr. John Scarborough from Gecko Boa Reptiles. You're live on Gecko Nation Radio.
2: Hey, Dan. How's it going?
1: Doing well. How are you doing, John?
2: Uh, pretty good. Just uh, working, working all the time right now, So, but everything's good.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. There's a rumor going around that you're going to sell all your geckos and start breeding Sudan-plated lizards.
2: Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm pretty much stuck with the geckos for at least a little while. I think it would take me two years to even sell everything, so <laughs> I don't think that's happening okay. anytime soon. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, i was just joking i was just joking about that How could you sell it's an awesome collection you're doing so well with all your projects thank <laughs> you appreciate it yeah no i'm looking on your website especially today and uh i well, actually your facebook page and i see that you posted for sale varanus kingorum. you know I, <laughs> i'm not really good with scientific names but these things look really cool i mean how big do they get? Are these like little tiny monitors, even smaller than Ackie's?
2: Yeah, they're, they're much smaller than Ackie's. Um, are one of the smallest dwarf monitor species, um, from Australia. So the female is probably like, I think, I think the length uh, of the female is probably four to five inches at most. So like without the tail, the tails are super long, of course, but, I mean, they're tiny little guys. Um, <clears throat> I would say at least one sixth of the size of an acu,
1: maybe even smaller,
2: as far as weight goes. So, so yeah, they the
1: body is like the size of a leopard gecko at adult, adult, even even breed, right?
2: smaller, even smaller than a leopard gecko for sure. Um, well, I, I mean, the, the body on the female is smaller than probably a leopard gecko's tail, as far as the weight goes. So, <laughs> they're they're pretty. They're pretty small guys, so... The male, the male's quite a bit bigger and, you know, looks a little different. He's more robust and got a thicker structure, but, yeah, they they definitely are tiny. The only, you know, akis... I have them in a trough like I used to have my Ackies and um, Ackies would lay all the way down to, like, 14 inches of substrate. They they'd lay pretty deep, and these guys only get down to about 4 inches, so this goes to show how much smaller they are. <clears throat> but... Yeah, they're, wow. they're they're really cool. They they're, they're very similar um, to care for as an Aki, just a smaller kind of a smaller setup. Um, I still keep them in a trough, but they uh, they uh, you know they have a little extra room to play with. And the deeper substrate I think helps with the humidity for them, and you know keeps the upkeep a little more simple. So, but yeah, they're yeah they're, they look really cute. interesting. They're very prolific too. They they lay. They lay quite quite a bit more often than the ackee will and they'll lay but they won't lay quite as many eggs in a clutch. So a female will will lay I've I've gotten I haven't even had her that long and I've gotten four clutches out of her and she's laid four eggs every time. So I mean it you, you do the math it kinda adds up. Um but yeah, they're yeah. they very prolific, pretty simple to take care of and they have uh they do have a genetic trait that Associated with them, which is the white morph, which is basically like an albino. Um, it's either um, called amelomistic an or albino or white. Um, <clears throat> so it's all it's a recessive gene. Um, I'm kind of in, trying to go away from the 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 actual albino though, even though they look really cool. Um, they have shown some issues with you know lights being overhead and having some eye issues. So trying to stay away from the lights. So. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're really cool
1: species. Nice, nice. No, I think that's interesting. I think a lot of people are starting to get into smaller and smaller animals and I've always thought about like you know like micro little ecosystems and things like that and <laughs> um like what would be like the minimum size enclosure for for a little uh, monitor like this?
2: Um I know somebody has, I mean, like a 55 gallon, you know. You just got to give them probably got to give them at least like four inches of substrate that's the main thing so um you can you can keep them in a regular um terrarium type setup and you know just give them the substrate so they can lay the eggs and burrow a little bit but yeah they're not they're not like typical monitors you have to have them on a pretty big setup so you know akis to really do it right you need to have at least 12 inches of substrate below them which is pretty difficult if you're doing a terrarium or if uh if you're trying to do like a cage setup you have to have a big kind of a trough area to kinda of keep them the substrate deep. So the easiest way has always been just to get cattle troughs and um just put substrate in there. And I basically just did the same thing I did with my Ackies and I I um put them in twelve inches of substrate and they don't even use all of it so yeah it's I mean but you don't that's a little overkill for sure um they need a overhead light to keep them warm um the hot spot probably you know most most monitors need at least like a hundred and twenty hot spot on them, you know even higher sometimes at the very hottest point um, not too much air room inside the big problem a lot of people have is they they give monitors too much air space it it kind of depends on your climate where you live but you need to give them they need to be dry yet humid if that makes any sense it's kind of a weird um way to think about it but they have to kind of have a ambient humidity that's fairly high but they need to be on dry substrate so what, below the below the 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 light you wouldn't want to have a lot of air space in there otherwise it'll dry out too quickly give them problems with shedding and stuff so but you know, all in all, they're they're fairly simple, not too difficult. Are They're they
1: fairly intelligent
2: compared to geckies. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, all monitors are are a little bit more intelligent than I, I would say geckos would be, or you know, they kind of they kind of have that like I'm looking back at you look every time you you look at them, and they they definitely have a different yeah. personality than, than geckos, and I, I like them a lot. I, you know, I I'm not going to keep them. A bunch of monitors—they take up a lot of space and just not my thing. But I like keeping the one group, and they're fun. I've always been interested in them, and yeah, they're very, very intelligent. I mean, monitors—it's just like packing all the the coolness of those big monitors, with, you know, without having all the the enclosure space required, and then also not having the risk of you know getting a serious bite from one if it ever happened, you know, and these guys are kind of kind of like the safe monitor basically (laughs) kind of packed all into a smaller smaller species so
1: well we saw what happened recently to Dave Durham did you see that
2: um I've seen a few I haven't I don't know if I the one I saw fairly recently but I saw one not too long ago that was pretty pretty bad and I mean that's a very rare occurrence of course you know you could have that keeping dogs but you know it's also a risk for sure. I don't. I don't like keeping any reptiles that could, and you know, put me in an emergency room. So <laughs> for me, it's not really an appeal. Um, but, I
1: had a I had a Savannah monitor as a kid, and um, I was I was probably about eighteen or so when I got him, and uh, um, somebody hadn't cared for him really well, and he had these uh, white scars on his back from the bulb being too close to him and like he would bask under there and and, you know they can't even feel how hot it gets sometimes so this poor guy had some white scarring on his back we called him pyro and Mm -hmm. uh one time i'll tell you man this guy he wasn't ever friendly i tried to tame him but he scratched up my arm so deep with his nail i still have two scars on my arm from it today and uh that was like (laughs) 20 some years ago well about 20 years ago but uh, yeah, never been really big guys,
2: one. Yeah, some of these guys that keep those croc monitors and stuff, I mean, you know, they they take a risk. You know, it's definitely a it's there's a difference. You know, you can keep a big snake, and you know, there's fairly if, even if you get bit, unless you're like pulling away from it or something, you know, you're you're not too bad off. You know, some of these monitors can give you a pretty serious bite. But I mean, if you do it right and tame them down, and you know, you really they can be they can be just like a like a puppy dog and you know you don't really have that risk you know i have i have two pit bulls here and i mean i'm not ever worried about them really biting into me or anything so you know it's just one of those things you got to know your animal and you got to work and spend the time with it you know and mm-hmm. it's not for everybody of course and it should be you know something people you know pay attention to but it can be done and it can be done you know successfully and will, you know, be done very safely too. So But Yeah I mean even even my big boas back in the day I'd get a little scared and you know I had a big Peruvian female like seven feet, you know, and she she's kind of scared me every time she, she would hit she would hit a rat and I mean I'd you know, I'd feel the I'd feel the hit pretty hard on my the the forceps I was using. And I'd just be like, man, if that thing ever struck me, it would be pretty bad. Luckily I only got tagged by her once and it was just kind of a little quick nip and she let go you know so thankfully i never got bad, a bad bite but i was definitely careful <laughs> Didn't like the bottom. yeah
1: well we've gotten some uh some good feedback in the group today about some topics to discuss and um i think a good place to start out with two uh, people want to hear about the subspecies i know you're you actually work with all the available subspecies of leopard geckos that there are today and you happen to have um the absolute best bloodlines of them and your uh, uh locales are straight up, they're not mixed with anything else. Uh why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh Troy Welling wants to hear a little bit about Angramus. How how are they doing in popularity and what uh, what have you what have you discovered breeding them over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, it's it's
2: you know, I it's kind of been my passion for a while now is just working with all the species and subspecies under you And I, I really, you know, it, it's kind of something that gets overlooked cause everybody thinks, Oh, it's just a leopard gecko. You know, it's kind of like the popularity of the morphs of leopard gecko have, have kind of made the species and subs of the kind of take a, go go on the back burner with a lot of people and they really don't pay attention to it. You know, a lot of, a lot of the guys that want, like, the really obscure and rare stuff, they're going to venture as far away from a crested gecko or a leopard gecko or, you know, a ball python as it can be, you know, as far as they can be from it, you know.
3: But mm-hmm. um, the
2: cool thing about leopard geckos is there is a lot of diversity naturally with them and the spe- the the, the genus blepharous has, you know, multiple species within it. And we're just really familiar with Macularis You know, species Which, you know, is just a small Category of it, really You know, there's E. blephris um, Macularis Fuscus and Hardwicky. When technically Turkmanicus, it'll be We need more work done there to Figure it out, but um, As far as the species go, there's a, there's a Whole world that's hi- hiding behind This big morph market of leopard geckos So I really think it's something a lot of people overlook um the people that actually do get into it usually are kind of leopard gecko people and they kind of just get more into leopard geckos and i don't know i just really found them fascinating they're very big geckos there's there's a lot of appeal to leopard geckos in general but to have that really cool obscure rare gecko thing going on with leopard geckos at the same time it's just a win-win so um as far as angamon you go it's the really cool thing about Angamani is there's a lot of diversity in the wild. The, the localities of Angamani are very, very different. Um, you know, just even the ones from like the Zagros Mountains compared to like lowland versions or uh, variations of them. They're just, just completely different animals. I could show you, I could show you two localities of Angamani, and you would think they're a completely different species in person. You'd just be like, these are not the same thing at all. And mm-hmm. even genetically, there's some there's some guys that are really interested in the genetics of them that are actually doing DNA studies on them, and you know they're finding the the phylogenetics on them is actually showing that they're they are very different species. You know, very, you know, possibly yeah. You know, well, they're the same species now, but they possibly could be new different species in the future. Very likely at least
3: subspecies,
2: or at least consider that. So, I mean, it gets pretty messy because, you know, it's one of those things where these animals or the the variants can change over one hilltop to the next. And these countries that they're in are very difficult to study. So there really isn't that many people working on studying them in the wild. And so there's really no work to be done. And I, and, well, there is work to be done, but there's really hasn't been a lot of work done recently. So hopefully in the future we'll know more about it. But. In a way, it kind of it adds to the appeal because there's not people going into these countries and, you know, bringing back, you know, a big quota that's allowed of wild types every year. You know, like you go in, like this last year, Malaysia had tons of animals come through. And, I mean, all these cool species like Eloch and some of the certain adaptable species, and, you know, I have smith-eye and some of these things, you know, you don't always see them. But then when they come in, they come in, in droves and then everybody has them prices go really down, really down low, really quick. And then it's like nobody wants to work with them and then they disappear again. And kind of the cool thing about, you know, the stuff coming from Iran and, you know, Iraq and uh Syria and uh Turkey is that you just won't, you won't see them ever coming in in big numbers ever. It's just literally, it's, you know, a couple of guys venturing in those countries about biologists um, sometimes it's smugglers. I mean, they're not endangered in any way, so it's not really a big deal. But you know, these they venture in these countries and they they take a risk doing so. But they bring them back and they captive breed them, and that's the only way you're going to see them, you know, in populations, you know, in the U.S. and Europe and stuff. So it's uh it's it's an interesting interesting uh, genus to work with for sure. Yeah, I work with I work with. Anything I can get my hands on pretty much that I know that's pure, um, probably have the largest and most diverse collection of e efforts in the world, so I, I don't really know of anybody else who probably have close to what I have. There's there's quite a few people in Europe that keep a few here and there, but it's kind of been my passion is to work with those. So. Well, and
1: the
2: most important I'll thing think.
1: is that your locales are are straight up. They're not mixed, Right you've been able to uh yeah document
2: so and everything yeah so part of the problem is you know things like fasciolatus, and montanus and the subspecies under macularis they're really questionable where they came from and you know even even the, the taxonomy on them is pretty you know questionable um so we really don't know, and they, it kind of comes to one of those things. that, Yeah, they're they're a pure line of something. We just don't know the locality. We don't even know if they really are a subspecies or this or that. But the nice thing about the Anumanus is we really got well documented info on them, um, and I have them directly from the sources on them. So for me, it's like, it's pretty much a no brainer that they're they're pure. I really am confident about it. I'm I'm kind of one of those people that. You know, I'll keep questioning something until I know it's legitimate. You know, I just won't buy something from somebody and take the word for it, really. I really kind of just keep going with it and press and maybe I get some people upset, but you know for me, it's really important to to know that I got something that's thing, you know um yeah, of and, course. you know that some people don't care quite as much about that. I'm a little bit of a purist about it, but you know for me. I'm definitely going to be selling to quite a few people and my name stands behind it. And, you know, for me, it's really not only just for my collection, which is number one, but you know, number two, I don't want, I couldn't imagine selling stuff that's wrong to people and having to, you know, backpedal and try to, you know, solve the problem afterwards, you know? So for me, it's, it's just all around important to make sure I do my due diligence and make sure these, these geckos are pure and really what they are. And most of the stuff, I have even pictures of their locality where they were, you know, collected, um, exact locations and stuff, and you know, even like some in, info on the, you know, the genetic studies of them compared to other localities. Like, all that stuff is really interesting to me, and it's kind of like a big, you know, puzzle to solve, especially me being over here on the, on the, in the States and, you know, talking to people I only have, I can only go off of People what they what they tell me, you know, and so I have to kind of do detective work without ever being there, you know. All right. But yeah, on you are very, you know. There's a, there's there's a few different localities. They can be crossed, and there has been a lot of crossing. Some of it intentional, some of it not. You know, and I'm not saying that necessarily it's a horrible thing to do it. Some people don't care, and it's just kind of they want the species, and that's up to them if they want to do that. For me, I want them pure, and I want the localities. You know they're not morphs yeah. to me. So uh, once they're morphs, I mean, at that point you kind of do whatever you want. But to me, they're not. There's no morphs in them. They're really naturally different in their own way. Yeah. Um, I, if I if I showed you an adult Elon Province Angamani compared to uh, Choga Zambal, um Province, I mean it's just night and day. You know, and they've actually even been able to cross the Choga uh, locality into macularis even so it just shows that there's more there's differences there for sure and you know there's definitely definitely uh some things to, to be careful about when you're crossing these things because they are different animals altogether. so you're saying that
1: i mean always people have always asked about this um, with the anger menu, they've always wondered if, they're, if it's possible to cross them into macularis. So you're saying that has, that has been done now?
2: Yeah, there there's one study that has crossed the the Kuzikstan, Choga, Jambal, uh province locality, which, right. in a way, has a very macularis look to it already. It's just a much bigger, robust gecko, but it has mm-hmm. more of a thick kind of macularis look to it um and the DNA studies have shown this this species is very different from uh, the other look localities that are across the zagros mountains for the most part um i've i've heard of other breeders trying to cross like uh uh kerman shaw province with macularis with no results personally i've never tried it so that's the thing i mean i in a way i kind of want to just do it to see what happens but at the same time. I'd, I'd kind of stand against it in a, in a lot of ways. Um, just the, I just don't think it's right to be crossing those in the macularis. There's some people that have intentions of trying to make some hybrid that they're going to sell for higher dollars on it. And it really <laughs> you know, shouldn't be done. Um, but I can tell you this, though, that the, the Choga, the one that actually did cross the macularis, the first generation – they didn't, um, they they produced offspring that were were fine, um, but the F2 generation actually had a lot of issues, and it's, it has to do with the way the alleles li- line up. Basically, some of the alleles get so separated out um, that when they recross back into each other, they just have, you know, some species just can't live without certain, you know, with, with certain alleles lining up together. So, like, it's kind of like if you think about proven out a het the first generation you would breed like say a trimper albino to a normal you would get hets the first generation and it would all be fine. But then you breed those babies back together and then you get some of those trimper albino you know alleles that line up and it just by the way it works it, it just causes problems with the species. Like they've been separated out so long that um that they actually the second generation causes a lot of issues. It's similar to like the issue with donkeys and horses. When they create a mule, they create an infertile uh, offspring that can't breed. But yeah. with, uh, with uh, these guys, it actually, uh, it's the second generation. So they can actually breed, but the, you know, the, this, the F2s are coming out all deformed and lots of, lots of problems with them. There's just, there's just a, ton of issues with them so that being said I, you shouldn't do it for that reason in my opinion um it just really will destroy the the health of the animal to be honest um I'm trying to remember yeah. the process of the, what that's called when they have the issue here looking it up but yeah, either way, it's just it's just not something you'd want to do, you know. Even the, the species that actually has been crossed is shown to have a lot of problems doing that. So,
1: so it's yeah. kind of like how they say baldness skips a generation.
2: Yeah, it could it could be something like I mean, genetics are crazy complicated. It's not just you know the, the standard you know uh, your, your punnets where like everything just had. And, you know, guy here There's all kinds of weird things that happen all the time, and we don't. We try to make it a little simple, even though most people, when they, when they, uh, you know, are learning about genetics in the beginning, it's very complicated. It really isn't even that easy. It's very, very much more complicated, more complicated than the, even what we know of. So it's it's one of those things. We there's just certain things that happen that you know that just. Just really, you know, we don't understand completely. And sometimes it, you know, sometimes they can figure out what's going on. It was, you know, the what the actual, what's happening with them, but not necessarily the mechanism of them. So definitely, well, I mean,
1: I'd argue that baldness doesn't skip a generation because my grandfather and my father and me all have the same baldness. So I think it's a line bridge trait
3: polygenic
2: yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> Well, you know, polygenic means multiple genes and you know, that's just there's a lot of things going on we don't know and that's why you can breed two tangerines and get junk and then you could breed it to a to two whatever tangerines and get awesome stuff and it's just maybe there's lots of little recessives and, you know, polygen or uh codominance working together and different things going on to to equal what what's going on there, but it's really hard to say it, pin it down, and really be like, "This is exactly what's happening." You know, without yeah, major no. studies into the DNA and really looking into it deeply, it's really tough to figure that stuff out. Mm.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that makes sense. Um, would you happen to think that uh, the angler are your favorite species, subspecies to work with?
2: Um. Well. Well, angemonia are a species, so I mean, this is always a confusion I right hear. The, the subspecies have been thrown around so long because really all we had in the beginning were the, you know, the fasciolatus and the montanus and the afghans and stuff like that, and that's those are what are considered subspecies. Which okay, are so we, now yeah, we
1: can clear that up. They are its own. They are their own species now. So
2: that's, yeah, angamania are their yeah. own species. And, you know, something. There's a lot of different things that can contribute to their own species. A lot of times, you know, once animals can't interbreed, that's a big, you know, distinguishing factor. Um, but even if they can interbreed, like we found that some angamania can. Like I was just saying, that you know, they can have other, other thresholds to classify them into their own species, and they they definitely are their own their own deal. Um, they're a lot larger. They're they're much um, you know slim bodied animal compared to macularis. Their maturity is much slow much slower. They you know a two year old angamani is comparable to maybe an eight month eight month old you know macularis. So so it would have a, a long maturity rate. <laughs> it's kind of like the difference between humans and like you know, apes. Apes have a faster maturity rate than humans do, where we take many years to reach adulthood or, you know, maturity, where it's kind of the same thing. They just take longer to mature. You know, they can be bred at maybe like two and a half years, but it's, you know, not a great thing. It's kind of like breeding a, if you're pushing a young macularis female and pushing her to breed it like seven months old, like, yeah, it's, it can it can be done, but not necessarily the best thing for the animal or, you know, even, even if you're trying to make a breeding project out of it, you can have problems doing that. So, um, there's a lot of differences. Um, but yeah, you and, um, Fuscus are a very cool one, uh, Hardwicky. I, I like them all to be honest. Um, Fuscus are very prolific. They're probably going to end up being the next, you know, Leopard, gecko, fat, African fat-tail type gecko that's, you know, popular in the hobby. Um, honestly, in my opinion, I think they're easier to breed than macularis even. <laughs> so, wow, I really, I i see them in the future. There's just, you know, a lot of people like myself even would kind of like to keep them rare in a way. But it's just no matter what, you breed them, you're going to have success. They're just as easy as a leopard gecko at least, if not more prolific. Um my two Fuscus uh, females the first year produced more eggs than any other leopard gecko did that year. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy there. They're really prolific and, you know, very strong animals. They take shipping very well. Um, different, you know, I haven't found a way to keep them that really doesn't work. You know, they, they very pretty much the same conditions as a leopard gecko would take, Um yeah, I keep them a little more humid, but, you know, I don't even think that's really necessary. Um, hardwicky, though, they can be pretty, they can be kind of difficult to breed sometimes. And, you know, getting, you can get eggs a lot of times. Getting fertile eggs is somewhat difficult. I think that males are kind of shy and timid, and they, they have a problem breeding as well in captivity. So natural setups and more of a more of a calm atmosphere really helps. With the males breeding, but I mean they're all fairly simple. They're just you know hardly to and probably not going to be the mainstay <laughs> like you know pet gecko for the average you know person. So,
1: all right,
2: Yeah. not for a while. Oh.
1: What well, do you think? Uh, so you think uh, you think there'll be any morphs to with uh, any of these with the angle menus or the uh, the fuscus coming up? Do you think do you see anything like that happening?
2: Um, it's always possible. You know, these morphs were usually caught in the wild and then brought in, so it's kind of difficult to to create a, an actual, like, recessive or codominant morph in captivity. It takes a lot of production. I'm sure eventually, like, fuscus will probably, that that will happen. Um, it might be more line-bred stuff until then, though. It definitely you know, lime stuff can you can kind of you get a weird pattern on one or something that's like a broken band and you can kinda of breed those. And I've already seen some of that in my in my animals. I get some I get some hardwicky that kinda of have like that like that stinger like band, kinda of like the Athenian Fat tattails that have the like the the stinger band. I have some of those. I had a really crazy looking hardwicky that was full term that didn't make it out of the egg this year, unfortunately. But um, pretty wild looking. I haven't seen anything else like that hatch. Um, it, and then I had, you know, some Fuscus that have like kind of more of a, kind of like a snow appearance to them, some of them. Um, but I don't necessarily yeah. think that's anymore. It might be just more lime bread stuff. Um, yeah. and there's I have some with some eye pigment in, in the Elon province, you know, and some of them come out pretty patternless looking but I don't know. I don't think of it as probably something like a morph or anything. There's no albinos or anything yet, so, you know, you'll see that. Unless somebody's out in the wild and grabs one, I don't see that happening anytime soon, so.
1: Well, you and I were talking about um, e-fasciolatus recently, and uh, I was telling you how uh, I have discovered just in my own projects here that some come out with bolder black uh, markings, and while others have very few black markings and you know my thought is maybe in five years i mean i've separated these two groups now so maybe in like five years you could have an all white e i mean i mean what do you think about that
2: yeah in line line breeding you can do a lot of stuff so you know in five years you could have some really light colored ones as well and you know they that's one of the one of the things that happens with the of line is that they some of them come out really light-looking like that, which is cool. I like that look best. It's kind of interesting and different. Um, yeah. Some of the some of the original wild caught ones did have that look too, which kind of you know it's kind of why I ventured towards that as well. But you know, some people brought them in and they bred them for size and you know egg production, and it kind of changes the look of them. And you know, some of them. I, I You know, the fasciolatus and Montanus and you know, some of those, really there's not much info on where they were collected or any of that kind of stuff. So, like, as far as, like, scientific work, there's no not much value to them. Um, but they're cool. They're their own line, you know, of wild-caught. Um, I kind of think when, you know, Boringer described all these things, he he really was just describing whatever he found, and the work he did was really kind of flawed. So, in the, in the first sense... I don't know if fasciolitis will ever even be something, really. And, you know, with the taxonomy of these animals, it probably will never even end up being an animal. And if it does, it might be something different. You know, they might just use the name again and, you know, describe something else. But, it, you know, they, they're they a cool line to work with, just like, you know, I like the Montanus. And, you know, they have value because you can – the main reason I keep these, the subspecies, or the, the quote-unquote subspecies is that – you can cross them into your, your morphs and stuff and, you know, diversify your lines out a little bit better. And they're also a, a clean slate. You can test breed genetics, and you can also, you know, improve the, the genetics on your animal. So if I'm, you know, test breeding something out, I'm also crossing the genetics pretty well at the same time. So for years to come, it'll be pretty strong. You know that's
1: they were we're talking about that, George, Lee, and the group. The benefits of using those species for outcrossing and um, these these lines, you you, whatever you want to call them, the fasciolatus, the montanus. These are really strong bloodlines. I mean, these geckos are bulletproof. From what i found, and I've used them to cross into other things. And um, what have you used them for? And and what what are your findings with using them as? uh, uh, like I guess strengthening genes or what would you, what would you call
2: it? Oh, uh, well, like, like for example, I, I, I use Turkmanicus to clean up the marble eye line and you know, some of the, some of the Turkmanicus marble I cross stuff that I have now are some of the biggest geckos I have. I mean, they just, I cross the, I crossed the marble eye, to a supergiant and then I cross, you know, some to the Turkmanicus and the ones that are across the Turkmanicus are bigger than the, the supergiant, so it's kind of that hybrid vigor thing going on there. Um, they cool. really, you know, they just boost the bloodline and you know, I haven't seen seen any issues with like the F2 or F3 crosses and stuff, so it really isn't that problem I was saying before between the Endermonio and Macularis, so I really kind of think they are this, you know, within Macularis species so um but yeah you can do that with all of them you can do that with the montanus or uh, you kind of you kind of decide what you're going for with them you know if you're going with like it depends on what line of montanus you know that you go with but some of them like the one i work with um has more of a a snow appearance to it so i probably wouldn't want to cross something that has a lot of color to that to to that montanus line just because I wouldn't want, you know, all the color gone I would want to kind of keep it um, Afghanicus Kind of has some color to it I got a new line of wildcots That have always been referred as the brown morph In Europe um, But some of those probably will cross the Tangerines really well And, you know, create some new pure bloodlines Of that stuff um, There's there's quite a few Wildcot bloodlines, you know They kept bringing in different wildcot groups You know for a long time and there's some different lines that came from that and i kind of see them all as equal even though some of them aren't labeled like a subspecies name like fasciolatus they're really the same to me to be honest they're just just a different line of it you know because i just consider fasciolatus a line of, of macularis that came out of it they are unique though they were they
1: they at this point they're just I when i find them i I love them. I work with them yeah, a lot here. I think no, they're, they're all
2: unique in their own way. They're all definitely unique in their own way, and that's why they're beneficial. So you can kind of – you can go for the look of one of them. So if you cross a fashion artist to, you know, a max snow, like somehow you can kind of get a unique look. Um, same thing. I crossed gyms with Montanus and, you know, got a really, really unique look on the the adults, just completely like the most – no doubt looking gecko you've ever seen. But it's because of yeah. Montanus, it really has a lot of that kind of look to them already. It's, all, it's already gotten to the point I can hardly tell the snows from the non snows anymore, so I kind of
3: have
2: to <laughs> kind of take a step back and not really wind the Montanus into them anymore. But yeah, you can do that with all of them. Afghanicus really have a cool look to them, and they cross so a lot of stuff really interesting. You know, the bulbs, especially, they kind of really make unique crosses with the. Back in the day, when Galther was doing doing the Afghan bulbs for a while, they came out pretty cool. Um, there's Afghan tangerines that are in Europe um, that are pretty cool looking. So there's a lot of things you can do with those, those you know, lines of subspecies that can benefit your your bread. You think it's better, like
1: you think it's better, like in the case of an Afghan tangerine, is it better to use a male Afghan to a female tangerine or a male tangerine to a female Afghan or does
2: it matter at all? Um, it really just depends on your specific animals. So, you know, I, an Afghan, for instance, you know, in that that case, typically, they're smaller geckos for sure and then a lot of them tend to be kind of, you know, if you, you throw them in with a big super giant or something, they're probably going to have some issues <laughs> or you throw them in with an yeah. aggressive male, that probably wouldn't be good. So, I would probably say an, an African male to um, a macular or, you know, a species macular or a, a morph macular, so female. So it it just depends, though. I think with the, the fasciolitis and stuff, it doesn't really matter. They're pretty much the same size and temperament as most leopard geckos. And, um, but it, it can vary. You know, it, it, that even goes with your morphs and stuff. You kind of have to read your individual animals and kind of, Sometimes there's certain geckos that just won't match up well together. You get a super aggressive female, and you throw her throw her with a you know a male that's a poor breeder or, or a male that's too relaxed about it. I mean, you're probably not going to get any good eggs ever from them. But yeah, I have certain males that will just you know they don't care how aggressive the female is; they'll breed. <laughs> you know, they're they pretty much don't they'll, they'll they'll take care of it no matter what. So. You always kind of have to do that anyway. If you're not, I mean, you you just can't always put two leopard geckos together and guarantee eggs every year, you know. I mean, it's we we have the benefit in with leopard geckos that it almost always happens, but, you know, <laughs> we kind of forget that it doesn't always happen with every species and we kind of get spoiled and, you know, I've had people upset. Oh, my geckos didn't breed and produce or, you know, I'm like, that's part of breeding. <laughs> same way well, yeah with everything you work with so it doesn't always work out I
1: oh, yeah. every every year for every season uh, you know it's one of those it's always the project you really want to produce a lot and you know it doesn't always do what you want you only get a few or you don't get none or it doesn't work out the way you plan and you're like oh man another year wasted but um, I guess you got to be thankful for the ones that do make uh, the breeding successes and uh, yeah, I'll put the best the next year, right? I
2: mean, it's just part of it. Yeah, I, I get emails sometimes that just drive me crazy. I'll lay, you know, eight clutches and all will be dug, and I'll I'll keep throwing the mail back in there. I'll turn everything and even switch the mails out to something that's, you know, compatible with the first mail as far as genetics so I don't get screwed up in case there was a the mix-up. I mean, it, no matter – there's a lot of times it just doesn't work out, you know, and then the next year she'll lay a ton of good eggs, and the, the next year she won't lay a single good egg, or, or you know, I never know. Yeah. It can, it always goes back and forth. And I usually try to have a couple. I'm I'm trying to keep my males up a little bit more this year, um, in actually the last two years, but more this year than ever probably. I have a lot more males, so keeping back and just uh just to have more options. You know, it's really not there's the genetic diversity of it is one thing, but then you also have more options when it comes down to breeding. You get a female that's picky or has issues and you can just switch the male to something else real quick or you can, you know, one male just decides he's not going to eat or go down and you got to go separate them out or if a male has a bad prolapse or whatever reason you can need to use a different male. And it's good to have, you know something as a backup it doesn't necessarily have to be your best animal but you know nice to have that that secondary option available so i've been keeping a lot more males now and it's working out i think better for me that way yeah huh. yeah if your your project
1: is really important to you having uh two males is the way to go because you never know what could happen that's that's a good that's a good point
3: um, I just want to remind
1: people, I see a lot of callers in the queue. If any of you guys want to come on the air with a question, uh, press 1 on your phone, and if you're listening and you want to call in, the number is 646-478-5331. Uh, but if you don't press 1, I won't bring you on the air because uh, I don't want to uh, freak anybody out. Some people are shy. <laughs> but, um, all right. Let's let's uh, let's move on to the next, uh, next topic. <clears throat> so... You've become really well-known for your work with tangerines, and you have some of the coolest tangerines I've ever seen and most of us have seen. Um, me, personally, I'm really not big into tangerines. I, I, in fact, the color orange is one of my least favorite colors, but, and so I don't work with a lot of tangerines. But some of the tangerines you work with are, are incredible. And uh, what do you what do you see happening with your tangerine projects, and um, what are you working on the, for 2016 with your tanks? <laughs>
2: Um, well, right. Hey, I just need to send you a couple of tenderings and you'll change your mind, but
1: <laughs> no, they,
2: <laughs> t- tenderings have always been one of my favorite things. And the good thing about them is, you know, they're the backbone of a lot of projects, even like sun glows and, you know, a lot of colored projects. It, it doesn't matter. T- good tendering lines to have are important to breeding. So for me, it's always been one of my, one of my favorite projects to work with. And, um, I kind of started off in the beginning trying to just buy the best of the best and I wasn't really trying to just produce exactly what the breeder before me. And I've I've always kind of had that, that philosophy is you know, some breeders will say you know, when you're starting off, just breed exactly what I tell you do and don't do anything else. And you know, that way you produce the best geckos right away. But to me, that's not really exciting. It's kind of I mean, maybe it's instant gratification to produce really nice animals right away, but for me, it's kind of like the unknown and producing something new is always fun for me. So, yeah. I remember day one, I've been crossing stuff and, you know, different lines together, trying to create new things, and, you know, it, it's taken a while with a lot of things. Some things just didn't work out very well, but some things really did, and, you know, it's kind of... Now i got some pretty unique lines i think that are that are emerging out of this stuff you know and legitimately worked with lines stuff i've worked with for you know five years now and really have have kind of refined them you know especially i think this coming year i got i got a couple mails i was kind of lacking a few mails on certain projects that really would have helped the project out and this year i produced some good mails so i think this next year is really going to turn around and really I'll have a lot more really nice stuff to that I can even sell and release, you know. I've I've been holding back quite a bit. So um mm-hmm. most of my stuff is uh is founded on the ge- Gecko Genetics line, which is that line that Jason Hagrid was working with. Um it's the same as you know, some people say Mandarin. It's the same line as that. Mandarin is just a rebranded name for it. Um but Gecko genetics line is, uh, it's got a mix of electric, Tori, Tangerine, some other stuff that Jason Haygood was working with at that time, but he really created some really nice, um, super hyped out Tangerines that were just pretty much solid red from, or solid orange, burnt red from head to toe. So, or head to tail. <laughs> so, yeah, that line is kind of founded. A lot of the stuff really held, holds its color into adulthood, you know, very well, um, very strong bloodline, um also my male is completely hat free, which makes makes him pretty much priceless to me. You know, he's really helped a lot of projects out because the second you got got some you know, if he's head bell or something he kinda of limits you completely to what you can do with him. So he's completely hat free. Yeah. I tested him, you know you know, every which way possible to every recessive out there multiple times, so I know for sure he's completely clean. So it's helped out a lot of projects and some of the other stuff i I started off with I had like some I had a you know a really nice Pacific green male I think I paid like five hundred bucks from Kyle back in the day like one of his best ones he released that year that that crossed into some of my stuff um, not quite as much color on that line but it definitely has it, they're definitely very robust big geckos you know which kind of is nice it really makes for a strong boat, bloodline. Um, I had some psyche marine blood in there, um, and I I started working. I have pure bloodline, pure bloods now, which are bloods are originally from JMG. I have a line of those pure bloods they are pretty cool. A lot of them that I kind of have that have some darker purple colors on them. Um, I work with green green tangerine, which is ultimate geckos line out of Europe, and I've crossed those into some stuff. Um, I got, like, the sibling to his whole back mail. I think it was, it was either last year or the year before. It was I think it was 2013. I got, like, the whole sibling to his whole back. So I got a really nice mail from that, and I got a pretty nice female from it, too. Um, Clown G-Project stuff that originally came from Sasebeck, which are, like, electric G-Project cross stuff. Um, those are pretty cool. I've crossed those into some green tendering stuff, and i made some really unique first-year crosses, so excited to cross those back to see what happens. Um, plain old G-Projects, then um, I got the, the trimper version of those, which is like the solar raptor stuff, just like a, it's a G-Project raptor, basically. Those are pretty cool, and I'm crossing those into white and yellows and stuff, too. Um, my own line, like I have like the uh, by what I call a purple headline, which is it just comes from animals that were crossed from a gecko genetics male to um gecko genetics marine stuff mainly. Um and it was a, just a really unique what I what I've done with some of the lines that I kinda came out with is I really just hatched a weird looking animal out from these crosses and I just held that back and bred it and sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't and when it did work out I got some really cool stuff, so that line that line's creating some really incredible tangerines now uh, some of them are they they create like the most red color possible and usually tangerines are kind of that burnt orange color and these are just like straight fire engine red which is cool and then i got you know genec- gecko genetics is more like the super hypo caretail baldy style like solid tangerine color those are really nice and have some darker lines that come from blood crosses with the gecko genetics and all kinds of stuff.
1: Yeah, and I see on your uh Facebook page, Gecko Bella Reptiles page, um you crossed uh, tangerine into the into the Golden Gate gecko uh pure Murphy patties and uh got one here that's got some cool carrot, nice purple tail. Um what are you trying to do with that?
2: Yeah, I, I got some pure Murphys. Um, they originally come from Golden Gate Geckos. Um, and I tested those out, and they ended up being pure. So I have that pure line that it was going. Um, one thing, well, those those had quite a bit of tendering influence as well. So they were really nice murphy patterns all on their own. So They, I look, they almost help. look albinos.
1: They almost look like albinos, right? Sometimes
2: yeah, uh, they maybe not so much. In per- they're they're a little young. So you're kind of getting some of that pattern, white pattern on the back. So maybe that's kind of why you're seeing that. So they're not totally yeah. aged yet, but I think the tangerine kind of overlapping that white pattern kind of makes them look like they have that color to them, but no, not albinos, no other hats besides Murphy in them, which is nice. And my no, what got, I mean that by, nice, by it is like, what when, when I
1: meant by it is um, when I breed the, when I breed my pure uh patties from Golden Gate, when they're babies, um, you know, they don't have any dark coloring whatsoever. They they're bright yellow and they never mm-hmm. seem to develop that dread, dirty, brownish color. They kinda look like uh Trumper patternless albinos in in a sense, almost. Not as not as albino looking, but they're they're just bright yellow. And you know, they yeah.
2: they're unique for pattern, her, her. for
1: patternless lions. Right? I mean
2: yeah, her line her line is really nice. I got a um probably pure male that it came from on Trimper originally. He's a super or she is a super robust gecko. Um and I cut her against Raptor, um, one year and she was she didn't have Trimper in her, so I'm pretty sure she's pure. But you know, the color on her is not quite as nice for sure. It's definitely more that just straight yellow and doesn't have that that tendering color to her. Um so the Murphy uh, the Golden Gate Gecko line is definitely really nice. Um and then I've just added that gecko genetics. The the one you saw is basically last year I crossed or the year before I crossed gecko genetics to Murphy's and I this last year I crossed the the Hut Babies together. And they just, they're kinda of just making that more of a solid color tendering look, you know. So mm-hmm. hopefully the the heads on them are pretty awesome like I mean just the tendering heads are just pretty cool and it's a it's kind of a similar thing I did with the the sunset line you know the tendering blizzards that came from Nick Stark that that had the uh, you know they were possibly recessive they're like Cangelo Blizzard crosses that ended up turning out to have that really cool looking tendering Blizzard look. So I crossed those to the x too, and then back, and those are really coming out pretty cool, too. So hopefully improving both those lines at the same same time, boosting the the line strength by using new blood on them, too. You know, a lot of that stuff has been line bred, and who knows how many babies cross to produce those, you know, to finally get there. So just a good way to keep the line boosted and improve it at the same time. And the nice thing about having that nail is, you know, one of the nicest tangerines out there, I and mean, he uh, is completely clean, so I can use them just like I would use a wild type. But, yeah, um, serves a pur- purpose to keep that tangerine color in there. If I had crossed those to a, um, you know, a wild type, they would have been dulled out the first generation. So.
1: Well, you know, Marsha was on last week, and we were talking about our pure patties, and uh, she was saying she's only got a 1.2 group of them left. That's it. So you wow. know, those of us that have them are pretty lucky because, you know, she's not going to be proliferating that much much anymore. And the ones that she has are getting old. So, you know, stuff like this Uh, could get lost if we're not careful
2: about it, you know? Yeah, most of the stuff I, you know, if I know there's people that I know personally that have these animals, I'll keep two males behind and at least four or five females. But some of the stuff, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll keep like three or four females, three or four males. Just because I yeah. know i never, you know, if you lose a male, which can happen, you could lose a project forever if you're not careful. So it, it kind of depends on what other yeah. breeders have. And I work with, you know, a lot of breeders like you and some other ones out there that I know I can get it if I need it. You know, money's not necessarily an option at that point or an um, issue at that point. It's just trying to trying to keep these lines continuing, yet not yeah. Keeping, you know, 4,000 gigas at the same time. So, And it's kind of like um, a burden,
1: too, like, in a sense. It kind of stresses me out sometimes, John. like, just to know, like, like I mean, these aren't $5,000 animals by any stretch of the means, but this it's a big responsibility knowing that there's so few of these out there. And, you know, to lose it, I mean, to not – I mean, what if I want to get out of geckos next year? I mean, I'm not saying I would. I mean, I, I don't feel that way. But like, who would I even trust with stuff like this? You know, like, yeah. I mean, I mean, some, some some like a person like you wouldn't necessarily need my animals because you have your own. But like, who would I sell this these stuff to that would realize their importance and the the future of the the bloodline and why they're so special? And I mean, it makes me it makes me nervous just thinking about it.
2: No, I agree, that? I mean it's you know the the another issue too is when you get these pure lines like this. I'm kind of you know I think most of us are that really cherish these lines They're really purist about it. We're not going to cross anything into them. So, but you you that, with that runs the risk that you're you're keeping the line too narrow, and a lot of times say like the golden gate gecko line. I I probably have very closely related animals. You know, to some sense, and I tried to you know venture out and get different sources for them. But I mean, are you going to keep a are you going to keep a you know a five point ten of this group just to care, just to keep the line? You know, so yeah, it, it becomes a problem there too. I, I I try to do what I can, but you know, hopefully people can outsource and get other you know golden gecko line animals or you know that way they're not always going to keep. You know, if somebody buys a pair from me um, and then, you know, breeds those and then sells them to somebody else and then they breed those and then sell them to somebody. Else. I mean, you're narrowing down the line to, you know, the genetics are getting pretty, they need to be outclassed yeah. at that point. So kind of well, the responsibility like. falls on us to try to keep those things diverse <laughs> as much as possible.
1: Well, that's true too. I mean, uh this fa- last year, last season I Tim wanted to test out an old bloodline that he had. He tested it against Bell and Tremper, but the only recessor he had and tested it against was Patternless, and his bloodline goes back like fifteen years or something. And uh I I lent him my pure fatty, and I was he had it for a good few months and dude I swear to god I was nervous until I got that gecko back.
3: <laughs>
1: and I trust Tim yeah. explicitly.
2: But things happen, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. I will. I will never loan out a gecko unless I have a backup for it, for sure. I mean, it's very, very few people will ever loan out a gecko, to, You know that for sure. But mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things that you know. It's yeah. Some of these things can be lost forever, and kind of like my fire water stuff. You know, a lot of people are bugging me for well, not bugging, but inquiring about. Firewaters this last year, and it's just like I mean I didn't produce any males, which was unfortunate for one. But um, you know I I, I just want to keep this line going. So I you know a lot of them are such nice animals, and just you know I I'm, I'm definitely going to have to sell them this year, of course. But for me, it's hard to sell that kind of stuff when I know it's pure, and that you know the second I sell it off, it's probably going to be cross forever. You know who knows what happens with it. So I well I have pretty pretty huge group of firewaters now, so I mean that's one thing I've been into lately is getting getting some really nice animals going with that and I would you know venture to say that they're some of the best in the world for sure i got I have the original um some of the original animals from Dan himself, you know I got a huge group from from uh, Brian jet including lava, which was like his you know his best male he ever produced and kind of like the foundation for all his fire waters and stuff. So it's kind of, kind of a cool look. Him, you know. Yeah. He's really a nice animal. And, you know, it, it came from, uh, you know, it, the whole, the whole project came from using Dan's hot gecko tenderine line cross them into, you know, rain waters and stripe and uh, rain red stripes. And, um, uh, he, you know, when he sold off he, or sold a lot of those animals, he sold some some uh, hot gecko tangerine het. You know, for for rainwater and um, one of those animals, one of the the animal that created lava, I think, you know, probably is the key to all those. Is that one that Kelly Hammack had? And you know, it was a it was a loan deal that he, she had with Brian. Lava was the best male that they produced from that gecko that year. Crossed to one of his pure firewater females, and just that a unique combination just made pretty awesome animal. So some of these, yeah, that's kind of a uh, line diverging within a line. <laughs> <In> a <way. laughs>
1: well, I know that feeling, man. You see little differences with things, and next thing you know, you got fifty more animals that day <laughs> just from
3: the yeah, special projects.
1: Up.
2: It, it gets it gets kind of ridiculous. I, I'm I'm trying to sell off more breeders this year. It's hard for me to sell everything off, but a lot of it I was keeping back to test breed animals because you know if you test breed a foundation animal, you can really you can really figure out what's behind every animal below that. So I could literally be test breeding fifty other animals at the same time, or even more. You know, just by test breeding one older female, but a lot of a lot of guys who just they breed one year and then they sell it off and they keep the best back every year you know and they really don't ever get to the bottom of their lines that way it's just it's a lot more time consuming the way i do it and it takes a lot of work but for me it's it's going to pay off in the long run yeah i see it no definitely
1: Definitely. yeah
2: definitely
1: um you know with, with all these projects and all these extra animals um, you know, I know you offer discounted geckos and stuff, but Jamie asks in the group about wholesaling uh get leopard geckos. Do you do any wholesaling these days?
2: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing it more and you know, that's I I'm just it's just lower end animals for the most part and that's really what wholesale is for them for for the most part. So um I can wholesale pet geckos or entry level morphs and you know, just kind of if you got a pet shop, or you uh, take geckos to a show, or something like that, I can do stuff like that. But I'm not gonna, I'm not really gonna wholesale the high end stuff. I mean, I give discounts. So if somebody orders a bunch of stuff for me, I'll I'll discount like the prize on stuff. But that's kind of depends on the animals themselves, and I kind of take it case by case on that stuff. Um, I don't do many shows. I've only done one in the last year. So for me I really I kind of have to have another outlet to to sell some of the, the other animals, you know. I can't sell them all on my website even though I sell quite a few of them, you know. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: a lot of breeders have that option to just sell like their their kind of lower end animals or their test breeding animals they get to sell them at these shows, so it really makes it easy. For me it's kind of one of those things that I I do need to wholesale. So um, I I I have some options to wholesale overseas. I don't know, necessarily know if I want to do much of that, though. Yet. I mean, maybe down the road, but it's kind of yeah. a, you know, selling to some of the Asian countries and stuff, it gets a little, you know, the shipping is incredibly expensive. Um, there's, you know, the time that it has to ship out there. And, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's just a lot of pain in, pain in the butt, to to, keep, to be honest.
1: Yeah, that's why I never tried it. Really, I ship the ham, and that's
2: it. You know, it's easy to ship. Yeah, to ham. It, it's pretty simple to you know do a third party um, ship to ham, which is you know that's as easy as it. it's just as simple as shipping to the U.S. Really, and makes it pretty easy. Getting the big wholesale customers in in Asia and stuff. That's probably where you know some of the bigger some of the other breeders have moved to that more exclusively, for sure. Maybe it's something down the road. I don't have really a hard time selling geckos here as long as I get them up to, for sale and you know, keep them updated. So Not really done enough work as it is over here in the U.S. So.
1: Yeah. Well, being that your collection, you have a decent sized group of breeding geckos now. You are completely self-sufficient as far as feeders go. You breed your own Roaches and your own mealworms. Um, how does that How does it How's that working for you? And uh, do you have any tips for folks out there that want to take that upon themselves to breed their own feeders
2: at home? Yeah, I've been pretty much self-sufficient on all my feeders. I'm <laughs> sad to say that on well, not sad to say. I mean, I guess it's a good thing. But on uh, <clears throat> Tuesday, I'm ordering a hundred thousand mealworms because I'm just I I. Just a little bit behind, you know, and so <laughs> I have to. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, but the nice thing is, I can do that when I, I when I need it. And right now is the time of year when I need the most feeders possible, as far as babies go and stuff. So mealworms is mealworms are probably the hardest thing for me to keep up with because you know I'm going through I'm going through about 150 thousand every two weeks. And so for me, it's just I ha- it's really it can be difficult because I start. I start feeding off some of my more medium sized mealworms and that's kind of a trickle down effect. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm low on the, the higher, the upper end size of mealworms, So I'm just going to, you know, bite the bullet and order, I'm getting a hundred thousand from rainbow on, on Tuesday, they're going to ship uh, air cargo to me. So I'll see how that works. I've always kind of had, you know, I think the biggest problem with ordering mealworms online for me and getting them shipped is just, the, you know, I think the transit time kind of, I've always done the USPS, uh, you know, two three day ship. Usually it's two days. I think the transit time it kind of you know takes it out of the mealworms, and they you know by the time they get to me, they're a lot of them are pupating within the day, and so I just don't get the quality that I'm looking for. Um, but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna try it again and see you know hopefully I get the order from Rainbow on Monday and everything's good. I I, I know they just got FDA approved for selling for for you know, selling the for human to, or for humans to eat actually. So I mean, if, if it's you know had to have a major inspection to go through their facility. So I think I think all in all, I think uh, the the quality over there is probably going up. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. I think I'll I'll probably get a really good order on Monday. And but um, as far as feeders go, yeah, I think that's the first time I've had to order all year. Um, I ordered a few super superworms at the beginning of the year on, in 2015, but that was about it, and a few roaches as supplement and stuff. But for the most part, my feeder bill is non-existent now, and um, I buy I buy a lot of wheat brand um, to feed the feed the mealworms, and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, chicken starter mash for the roaches, and carrots and potatoes and oranges. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. It, it, it's a pretty complicated process to try to explain. I mean, everything's kind of something I figured out on my own, and I probably don't do it similar to any money anybody else out there. But I have a YouTube video on my YouTube account that kind of shows my basic process. So if you're if you're more interested, go to my YouTube channel. It's just Gecko Bull Reptile. I kind of show you in a video kind of how I do it. Um, it's not easy though. It never is. You know, it's. it's it's kind of just getting, getting the sifting down and getting The whole process from mine, it's, it's it's a big part of my work. But I mean, you know, a hundred thousand mealworms costs, you know, only close over four hundred bucks. You know, to get it shipped out to me, and I mean, if I'm doing that every two weeks, it's, it's a pretty heavy, heavy expense. So for me, yeah, it still makes it sense to breed my own. <laughs> I've been doing it for so many years that it's just become second nature, and I almost yeah, it's almost just as easy as ordering um, online for me at this point.
1: Hmm. I wish I could do that. I just uh,
2: I can't have so many bugs in my house without getting having allergy problems. So
3: yeah, you gotta, I don't be lucky. I
2: don't have allergies at all. So I mean, I, I wear I have a I have a duct ventilator going outside, um, especially in the winter. I just can't really open the whole garage and you know, blow fans out during the winter, it's too cold, but, oh, um, I got a duck fan that's blowing the air out, and I got, a, you know, full-face um, respirator that, you know, completely keeps my eyes, you know, not in contact with the dust, and my, you know, really good quality respirator, and, you know, really, it's not really a problem at that point, because I'm not breathing any of that stuff in, and I'm really careful about it, I don't want to develop an allergy, because that kind of can end your career in this Business, so
1: yeah, it can suck. That's for sure. So, what other? Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to be coming to the end of the show soon, but before we go, I'd like to uh, hear about some of the other projects that you have going for 2016 that you're excited about, and things that people can look forward to possibly acquiring from you this year.
2: Um, I got a, got a few things. I, I I made quite a few purchases last year. I, I've got um, some more. Any of them on stuff. Um, some of the, the the species, leopard gecko species. I got a new cl- locality of fuscus, I suppose. Um, I have, as far as leopard gecko morph stuff, I I got a pretty awesome group of um, tremper, Tendering tremper white and yellow stuff from Don Hamilton at Highwood Exotics um, just recently. I'm pretty excited about those. He originally got his uh, his original... He got a white and yellow raptor female from me a few years back and then he bred it into some stuff that really has kind of kinda of changed the tendering, trimper white and yellow world. You know, pretty much any of those really nice tendering um white and yellows or trimper white and yellows you see out there come from that, that line from Don. So um pretty excited about those. Those are nice. Um got I uh, got a universe project that I'm working on, possibly het free. Um I got from Chris uh Charlie Suburban geckos, some really nice geckos there. Um, what else do I got? I got some stuff coming from Marsha pretty soon. um we've been talking about Golden Gate geckos. So <laughs> I got some R two bolds that are or actually Golden Gate gecko line. I think they were I forgot what she said, if they were R2s, two R or Golden Gate gecko line, but got some of those original ones. I don't I I might try to get a couple babies out of them. Some of them are older breeders, so I'm not going to try to really push them. Um, Get a couple babies and keep those back. But just one of those things, I kind of cherish those old lines, so I kind of like keeping that stuff. Um, Got some old bells that are coming from her soon, too. They're pretty cool. Um, I got uh, – what else did I get this year? I got really cool – it was uh it was one of uh Trimper it's like a, a red stripe uh um red stripe yeah, it's it's it comes from Ron Trimper originally. It's like his rainbow projects. It's like a red stripe kind of I think it's a pastel cross. It has that kind of pastel look to it. Pretty cool animal I got from Europe this last year. Um but it originally came from Ron, so I have to give him credit there. Um, but that's a really nice gecko. I got the pastel raptor stuff that I'm still doing. I'm keeping those pure for the most part. Um, and I think it's, everybody's kind of realizing that they're kind of showing that they're they're more of a line bread. <laughs> you think we're seeing a lot of pastels that don't look like pastels anymore? So I think that's kind of showing through. But the original, you know, pastel raptors are. I have some that look like straight white and yellow trempers, you know, which are I think is pretty cool to just in the line bread. So. Still got those yeah. going. Um, all the tendreens. I got some uh, Brittany from Pack Herbs, like, extreme bold stuff that I'm still working with. Some of the nice stuff from those animals. Um, those have a lot of Halloween masks in them. Hopefully have some pure Halloween masks that are decently outcrossed without all the kink tails and stuff that we've been seeing. Um, but I got some pure ones that are really nice on that. Um, Save me a mail. Line, one. Yeah, hopefully. I only got a pair. I got a, I got a mail that came from Steve Sykes. I a lot of a lot of the Steve has some pure ones that he got from Brittany, which is, was one of the very few pure sources for him. And so some of them I didn't like necessarily too much from him, but he had one mail that was pretty cool looking, so I I got that one. And I have I have probably what I consider the nicest holy mask that I've ever seen, at least I've, that I've seen in person. So I. I do, I bugged Brittany about it for for a while to to get this one female off of her and and she got out. She decided to sell it, so I got that female and that one's really nice. Um, well, we'll have to
1: um, we'll have to do a little competition on that because I still think I have the coolest Halloween mask female that there ever was. Yeah, I so. think
2: you do. I think I saw that one. Yours is pretty nice too. So I mean, it's just one. It's probably very similar, if anything. So yeah, the, some of them kind of. Like, in a book and not through wild, where you know some of the lines have kind of diverged away from it. they might be still still the pure line of it, but sometimes you can keep things pure and they you know you buy like you know a breeder that produces them and you buy like the worst of his pure line, and you know you breed those only and all of a sudden you're not producing quite as nice of animals, so uh, it kind of. It's yeah. pure in that sense, but it's not necessarily a line. So I think some of the lines are kind of diverging in that. And I've seen some some lines with a lot of kink tails, which are kind of kind of kind of you know I don't want a bunch of kink tails coming out of my animals. If there's a whole line that's just only producing kinks one after another, you know that's a lot of yeah. that's a lot of customer service emails after after you know, <laughs> a while. And I don't like doing that either. You know, there's not. Not something I like. hear yeah. so If I get a ton of kink tails or something that needs to be changed. Oh, um, yeah. I got a I got a really cool se reptiles. Steven Cervantes got got me a really cool red stripe bell white and yellow that I'm going to be breeding to some some of my red stripe bell stuff. So that should be interesting. Um. And I'm trying to think. I got those brown morphs that were kind of a subspecies or not subspecies but just a, a pure line of wild types. And then I, I still got most of the other projects I still work with, atomic dreams I got I got a really nice marine, extreme emarine that um came from um, Brian Jett. I have some other ex- extreme membrane stuff that wasn't quite as nice. I don't I really kind of just consider them tangerine trempers for the most part anyway, but these ones are kind of whatever, and then I got I got a really awesome mail from Brian Jet as well, so that should help boost that line up. Nice. Um, yeah, tangerine or fire Firebolt stuff. I always got that. Some really cool stuff in that, and then I should have some albino temper albino stuff, or at least possible albino stuff coming from that. And white and yellow bold stuff, fourth generation um, fire white and yellow stuff. Third generation. So, I don't know. I think I could keep going on forever, but well,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, it's a pretty diverse uh, group of stuff. And you know what's cool about it is a lot of these morphs that you're working with are, um, well, a lot of are starts of unique lines and some of your own established bloodlines now that are unique to your collection, and that's that's good. That's like what a lot of us uh, strive
2: for, and. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, I, you need I to... can, you can call your own, it's cool. Yeah, I'm pretty modest about it, I never really named um, my lines or geckos until, you know, like I'll say like the purplehead line, and literally it comes from other people saying that to me, you know, I've had, I I would post those pictures of tangerines, and I'd always say the crosses on them and stuff, and then people would be like, oh, what are, when are you going to sell those purplehead forms to me, or whatever, and, you know, it's just kind of one of the things that's when you, you work with it for that many years. And it, I mean, I I think it's fine to have lines and stuff. I think it's, you know, if, if you're doing it for five years and you're working with a separate line, I think that's fine, you know. I just, I kind of, the, the whole, I bought two geckos from one breeder and now it's all of a sudden it's my own line thing kind of, that's the only thing that kind of bugged me. But, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I think people are starting to realize that, you know, and it's 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 one of those things. You can't, you know, some of the the new people in the hobby, they kind of see all these different lines, and it's kind of fun thing is name your own thing. Well, whatever. they're excited. They're
1: excited. Yeah, and, huh? I
2: get, and I get that too. But I mean, when you get the top level of breeder that's doing that, you know, that's when it kind of you know hits a nerve with me where they'll buy they'll buy a gecko from me. And then all of a sudden the gecko is something new, you know, the second it reaches their door. Oh, you yeah. Know, like,
1: we know what you're talking about. <laughs>
2: Indeed. Well, I mean, there's, there's a few. I'm not naming any names anymore. I've been threatened too many times now with lawsuits, so I'm not going to
3: deal with that, so. <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> yeah, it, that, that. That just, that hits a nerve with me a little bit. But, you know, people want to work on their own project and say it's their project and their line, whatever. You know, they're doing something new. That's cool and interesting you know that's that's fine just don't you know take credit for somebody else's work and you know say this is my thing <laughs> anyway
1: well it sounds like you have got a really cool bunch of projects and I'm sure you'll be posting pictures along the way and um, people can all well, you guys uh, can find his work on Gecko Boa Reptiles on Facebook and the website is geckoboa.com is there any other places they can find you out there John
2: Um, I'm mainly just on, I do most of my updates on Facebook and I do the, the actual availability of my animals on, uh, Boa. So on the website, so those are the main things I'm doing. I might do an Instagram before too long. I just haven't got around to it, but.
1: You know, Instagram, uh, your, your, your Instagram following will grow really quickly. It's, it's not like it's restricted as Facebook, so, um, Yeah,
2: I I, I want to just do it. I've, uh, you know, the thing is, I take all my pictures on my my nice camera, and you know, I I guess you can, I guess you can update Instagram from your computer, but I don't really like doing, you know, I don't I don't like the idea of taking pictures from my phone and doing all these, you know, weird, you know, um, you know, uh, edits on my pictures to post them, but I guess. I don't know. I guess that's the, the cool thing to do anyway, so I probably should.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's like it's, it's one of those necessary evils. You, you just have to have it. I don't log into Instagram that often, but I got a pretty good following, and I've only been on there, I think, less than a year or so now, or maybe just a year. And, uh, I don't know, I got several thousand uh, followers, and, you know, it grew quickly without me even trying, so I think you'll, yours will do the same, so...
2: Do do you, do you just post from your phone, like your cell phone, and you take a picture from yourself, yeah, phone and just post it, and that's it?
1: Yeah, I do. It's just like uh, just like I do with Facebook. But uh, the only thing I don't like about Instagram is it makes you sometimes um, resize your photos. It, it doesn't take get mm-hmm. the whole with Facebook. You post a, you post a picture, it posts it as is. Um, with Instagram, sometimes you gotta. You got to crop it and stuff. It cuts off part of it, and, and I just write on there. If you want to see the whole picture, go to my Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
2: yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. Of, I want to do a lot more videos, and I have all kinds of. I have lots of ideas. It's just trying to get them, get them going is the tough part. When I'm, when I'm so I am I'm. You need am Yeah. Well, I don't. Too. Do, <laughs> I'm too controlling on <laughs> my geckos, so <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's, uh, All right. Well, is there anything free. else uh,
1: you you want to leave us with for tonight, John?
2: No, I think I think I talked long enough, so I'll let you you guys get going. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it again, as always.
1: Well, thank you very much for being a sponsor of the show, and uh, keep up the awesome work. And we'll uh, we'll be keeping an eye on what you're doing. So, uh... oh, and save me a mail Halloween mask if you make one.
2: <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs>
1: All right, so have a good night. We'll see you again in the future. All right, you as well. Thank you. Bye now. All right, folks, there you have it. Another cool interview with John Scarborough from Gecko Boa Reptiles. Uh, always uh, cool to hear what he's working on. Love looking at his page and what he's got coming up. So um, check him out. All right. Um, let's see. All right, well, I'm going to go through our sponsors, and then I'm going to play a cool song and, uh, we'll do it again next week. So uh, don't forget to uh, do business with our sponsors and mention the show. They're going to take care of you. They, uh, they usually give discounts and stuff to the listeners. So let's start with uh, Dale's Bearded Dragons. Check out Dale's Bearded Dragons at dbdpet.com and their new app uh, in the App Store. And uh, they have a code that you can use. that will give you either 5 or 10% off. It's GNR5. So make sure you use that code. It's good for any reptile supplies, feeders, anything. Uh, they got the best lighting, heating, caging, just about anything you can get from a big box pet store or online. They have it on their website and usually cheaper. So, and If you see them at any of the reptile shows, make sure you mention the show. You're going to get 10% off uh, any cash sales at reptile shows. So mention G&R when you see them at the expos. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. And of course, AB Dragons. Check out AB Dragons. If you're in the market for dubia roaches, and now obscure species of roaches, um, small ones, little ones, big ones, huge ones, uh, they have just about like every available roach now. All kinds of cool stuff. abdragons.com, use the code GECKO, all in caps, at checkout, and you're going to get 5% off your order every time. Okay, and... ReptileStickers.com, if you guys need anything for your business or your little operation or your Facebook page, banners, stickers, any kind of graphic design work, check out Rachel at ReptileStickers.com and happy gecko stickers on Facebook. And sooner or later, if you're breeding geckos or snakes or any kind of other reptiles, uh, lizards and stuff, you're going to want to get all those fish tanks out of your room and start consolidating and be more space efficient. And the best way to do that is with a sea serpents rack. So check out Sea Serpents. That's the letter C-S-E-R-P-E-N-T-S, seaserpents.com. And if you're breeding reptiles and you're incubating eggs, you're going to need a really good, reliable, safe incubator. Hotbox Incubators is the way to go. Check out hotboxincubators.com. All right, and once you start producing all these awesome baby geckos and snakes, you're going to want to ship them to your customers all over the country, right? Well, best place to do it with the best pricing and best uh, shipping supplies is Reptiles Express. Check out reptilesexpress.com if you're new to shipping. Yes, for Amy, Shall help you get started, membership is free. reptilesexpress.com, and we've heard us mention them a couple times on the radio tonight. Rainbow Mewers, we love Rainbow. RainbowMealworms.net, best pricing, best customer service, highest quality worms, and other feeders. RainbowMealworms.net, check them out. Okay, don't forget about Gecko Forums, guys. If you are tired of Facebook or you just want more information than what you can get on Facebook about geckos, go to GeckoForums.net, make an account, type in your question, all kinds of answers will come up. And you heard from Gecko Boa Reptiles tonight, John Scarborough. Check out Gecko Boa, of course. Gecko Boa Reptiles at gecko dot com. Anybody here from Ohio Gecko? Fad? If you have, tell to hit me up. Wondering where he is. Check out Ohio Gecko for tangerines, cool snows, fat tails. I uh, you know he breeds cool enigmas, all kinds of good stuff over there. So check out ohiogecko dot com. And Supreme Gecko, you guys like crested geckos, day geckos little tiny micro geckos and some other obscure species, definitely go to Supreme Gecko. And check out all the wealth of information on his website. It's got just about, oh my God, just so much separate care information and all kinds of good links to other information that you guys can find on geckos and reptiles. So Supreme Gecko, not just for buying geckos and stuff. it's, It's a whole encyclopedia of its own. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Ron Tremper. Go to com for his available animals, and also check out his app, LG Pro. That's Leopard Gecko Pro. But in the app store, it's LG Pro. He's also got an app called Leopard Gecko Care. Alright, so you can have your own little Leopard Gecko Care book right on your phone. But uh, that's com. Alright, I'm out of breath. <laughs> it was an awesome show. I want to thank everybody that chimed in in the Gecko Nation group and uh, folks in the chat room, thanks a lot for uh, stopping by tonight. And if you like what we do here on Gecko Nation Radio, please help us by sharing the show links. Um, That's how we reach new listeners. And uh, you can share the Facebook page because that's where we post the show links. And that would be awesome of you. So uh, please help us by sharing that stuff every once in a while. I notice things like that. And, And that'll be it. Join our group, Gecko Nation, on Facebook. Good group of people, a lot of good advice, and uh, do some really cool pictures. It's not just for geckos. It's for all kinds of reptiles and pets. All right, I'm feeling a little bit of, let's see, I'm feeling Bob Marley tonight. Bob Marley's going to take us out. Until next time, folks.
0: The merchant ships, minutes after day took I from the bottomless bit. But my hand was made strong by the end of the Almighty. We forward in this generation triumphantly. have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophet While we stand aside and look Ooh, Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help the sing? These songs of freedom Cause all I ever had Redemption song Redemption song Redemption song yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. Oh, have no fear for atomic energy, cause none of them are gonna stop at the time. How long shall they kill our prophets while we stand aside and look? Yes, some say it's just a part. We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help us sing These songs of freedom is all I ever had Redemption song All I ever had Redemption song Songs of freedom,
3: Songs of freedom. <laughs>